Inspired by his near-death event and experience as a patient long before his training as a physician and transplant surgeon, our next guest shares his inspiring formula of delivering the right treatment to the right patient at the right time. Dr. Hassan Teta, a heart and lung transplant surgeon and the current health mission chief for the Department of Defense, joins us to discuss the three pillars of his book, The Art of Human Care, Purpose, Personalization, and Partnership. Additionally, Dr. Teta sheds light on why his formula is needed now more than ever during COVID-19 as burnout is reaching all-time highs. While together, Dr. Teta also shared his deep passion for artificial intelligence, technology, and why innovation can fundamentally impact and improve the lives of the patients he serves and the industry overall. It is my honor to share with you Dr. Teta's story and passion for making the world a better place for so many of us working so hard to do the same. Because of leaders like Dr. Teta, I remain incredibly confident and inspired that we will positively move the healthcare industry forward for our nation, not only in the midst of the current global pandemic, but beyond. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Hi, Dr. Teta. I am so honored to have you on our podcast today. Thank you, Mike. Well, I'm grateful for our community to learn from you today around your concept, the art of human care, especially given the escalating costs and burnout the healthcare industry is experiencing and now exacerbated due to COVID-19. But before we dive into your important and inspiring message, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to join our free online community at passionatepioneers.com in order to share feedback and ideas and interact with the global ecosystem. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Dr. Teta, it's almost time to experience your message of hope and renewal that so many of us are desperate for during these trying times. But first, I'm gonna randomly select an ice-breaking question so we can get to know you personally. Let's see what it comes up with here. Ooh, we can't do a lot of this right now, Dr. Teta, due to being on lockdown and socially distanced, but it's around travel. What's your favorite place on earth and why? Wow, favorite place on earth and why? Home is <laughs> probably my favorite place on earth and why, particularly right now because COVID is may travel a little bit precarious, but I've been to 54 countries in my lifetime and I've enjoyed all of those trips, but I have to say coming back home has always been the one location that brings me the greatest comfort and joy because my family's there. Oh, you flipped the question upside down. I love it. And that's a great answer. And I know when your family tunes in, you definitely just scored some bonus points. So oh, we hope so. <laughs> well, I got to ask the question, where is home for you, Dr. Teta? Well, home right now is certainly where my family is. We happen to live right outside of Washington, D.C. in the suburbs of Maryland, Potomac, Montgomery County. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. 54 countries that I thought I did a lot of travel, but holy cow. And we're going to get into a little bit of what you've done on the front lines and serving our nation. By the way, thank you for your service to our country and an exceptional career and continuing to serve today. 
which I know takes you all around the world. But we're going to go back a bit first because this story is so inspiring and it's so important to how it is now influencing your work and the work that you're helping inspire others to do during these incredibly trying times. And let me frame it up a little bit, Dr. Teddy. You are a board certified heart and lung transplant surgeon, a best-selling author, an 18-time marathon finisher. You are also a combat surgeon and you currently serve our nation as a health mission chief at the United States Department of Defense. By the way, as a side note, you need something to do, apparently, Dr. Teta. It sounds sounds like you're quite bored over there. But in all seriousness, before you speak about overcoming your own near-death experience that has propelled you to go the distance in all that you do, because I want you to go back to that, go there, share with us that experience also, obviously, as a patient, and then that journey to today and how that has really helped influence you to share your message with others about all of the work that you are out there serving us around this notion of the art of human care. Take us back to those moments. Sure, absolutely, Mike. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share the story, first and foremost. Perhaps the story could be summed up in one word. I'll start with that one word, give some context and flavor to it, and then end with it. And that one word is gratitude. Gratitude for the fact that I survived a, as you said, life-threatening diagnosis when I was in college. I had just returned from interviewing for early decision at Johns Hopkins Medical School at my undergrad, and I was a junior, and I returned back after what I thought was a successful interview and was assured that I was going to be accepted to medical school. Well, consequently, just a few days later, I became very ill with a fever and rigors and just felt like the worst headache of my life. Subsequently, was diagnosed with bacterial meningitis. And fortunately, some of my fraternity brothers uh, found me in my dorm room just before probably succumbing. Took me to the hospital. The great work of the physicians, nurses, and all the care providers there, you know, local hospital in the uh, small upstate town of New York where I was an undergrad, were astute enough to recognize that something was not quite right. And they did the diagnostic testing and the studies came back with the diagnosis, which was a very unique diagnosis for me at the time because, you know, bacterial meningitis is highly contagious. It was later found and surmised that I probably contracted it during my travel to Baltimore from upstate New York when I went to interview. Curiously, you know, there is a ever-present concern as well as anxiety over what's happening now with COVID. I would say that looking back, I remember sitting next to someone on the airplane while I was flying down to Baltimore that was coughing and, you know, coughing the entire flight. And we've all been in that situation. And I wonder, you know, even to this day, if that was in fact the genesis of what provided me with this very deadly infection. So for those of the listeners that have ever heard of or know of anyone that has had meningitis, bacterial meningitis, it is particularly lethal at the extremes of age. So when you're young and when you're old, but certainly can cause a lot of havoc and become lethal in many cases if it's left untreated. Like I said, fortunately, I was just lucky that not only did my good fraternity brothers find me, but the good work of the hospital clinicians and the providers there to grant me a new lease on life. And so when I emerged from that experience, a couple things happened. One thing is I found out that I did not get into medical school, at least not at that point. And that was a little bit of a disappointment, but 
you know, throughout that experience, I think I was holding on because I knew I wanted to be a doctor still. So that was one of those things that I believe helped me to understand and appreciate how the mind can sometimes transcend the physical ailments that our bodies, you know, sort of endure. But as I emerged from that experience, I recognized, especially as I learned more about what bacterial meningitis was and how deadly it could be, that I was spared. I was given a second chance. You know, it was these, uh, you know, you hear this universal theme of people that have survived a near-death experience and their, their whole outlook and lease on life is totally different. And that was, in fact, what happened to me. And I'm glad it happened to me now in retrospect before I went to medical school because what that did for me is being a patient in the ICU for a couple of weeks and then spending several weeks in the hospital just sort of overcoming that infection, it engendered for me a deep sense of empathy to know what it feels like to be a patient. And that's something you can't learn in a book. But every time I engaged with my patients, and even to this day, I understand how they feel, the anxiety, the fear, the helplessness. And I want to make sure that I'm giving them the care that was given to me any chance I get. Now, fast forward, my specialty, as you mentioned, is heart and lung transplant surgery. And with that discipline, I am exposed to the extremes of life on a regular and daily basis. The donors that experience these tragic deaths that lead them to become organ donors. And then on the other extreme, you have these folks that have end-stage heart and lung disease, which is perhaps more of the the debilitating disease and conditions you can have. And so you have a tragedy on one side, but then you have this miracle on the other side. And so it is a constant reminder for me to always be grateful for each day you have when you wake up and you have your health and you have your sound mind and body that no matter how bad it may be in life with your health and with the opportunity to live another day that you have within your power, the tools, if you will, to uh, make your state of being a little bit better and, and improve your station in life. So that's how it would end with gratitude. And that's the lesson of many that I think have been packaged and repackaged in that under that theme of gratitude, that entire experience in my work on a daily basis. Wow. Profound. And thank you for sharing that backstory because it is important, Dr. Ted. And it really now sets the stage of one of the areas I want to focus in on with this conversation with you today is you to ultimately developing this notion of the art of human care. Can you explain what that is? Why is that more important now than ever, especially as, you know, the pandemic has laid bare so many inequities, the brokenness of our system, how much burnout there is now or push to the limits, both the patients, the providers, administrators. This is a tough time. But share with us this notion of developing the art of human care, what that is, and even apply it today in these very unprecedented times that we live in. Yeah, another great question, Mike. You know, that is in summary, the basis of my work over the last few years. What is the art of human care has been the question that I've been answering. As I mentioned, that experience that I had as an undergrad and then certainly the constant exposure to life and death on my, uh, you know, sort of regular and daily basis here in my practice has engendered a lot of uh, thoughts about how, you know, one goes about approaching healthcare. So there's, of course, the science that I've learned over the years is the experience in my practice there's the, the stories and the connections that I've had with my patients and with, uh, you know, folks that I've been honored and privileged to take care of over the course of my career. Now, all of that is lessons that are, you know, 
they're sort of seared and branded in me and they're in my DNA, I'd like to think. And as a physician and one in my state that, you know, feels this need to always want to, you know, pass on the legacy, if you will, and teach others how they too can take the things that I've learned. I've always thought about a way to teach and inculcate that practice of really delivering great care to others. And I realized that one of the ways to do that is to sort of come up with a body of work and distill my experiences to a theme under the art of human care, which is what I called it, sort of created this concept of the art of human care. And I've also learned over the years that anyone can take something that's very complicated and make it more complicated. (laughs) You can take something that's very difficult to understand and make it more complicated. But what's really difficult, what's really challenging is to take something that's really difficult, like this concept of how do you take care of another human being? How do you deliver really good care? How do you make the experience, the encounter with the physician, with the provider, with a care provider, with another human being, something that's exceptional, that can be actually transformational in that person's life? Well, that's a hard thing to sort of explain, but I tried and I'm still trying. But my attempt to do that is under this theme of the art of human care. And it has three pillars. And the three pillars are purpose, personalization, and partnership. And what those three pillars have really represented for me are the distillation of all my experiences into these three very fundamental uh, themes. Purpose. I found my purpose when I was sick. I wanted to be a doctor, and I know that's what helped me transcend the uh, illness that I had, and I should have died. Personalization was, you know, it was unique to me. Everyone's condition is unique to them. No two people that I've taken care of that have a heart condition are exactly the same. Everybody has a unique story, a unique kind of composition, a unique biology. And so you have to always personalize whatever you're therapy is, whatever your intervention is to that unique individual and understand where they are in life. And that's a very difficult, but an important thing to do. It's not easy to just cookie cutter therapies and treatments for everyone. I've learned that uh, lesson well. And then partnerships. Nothing great is ever achieved on a single and solitary basis. You know, the greatest among us that have achieved great things are often celebrated as the heroes, but, you know, it doesn't take much to peel back the story and find that there were so many people along the way that helped them. And now whether that means overcoming a debilitating heart condition and then getting a successful transplant and then making it out of the hospital and going on to live a healthy and fruitful life, that is not just the work of the individual. It takes the surgeons, the nurses, the rehab, the social workers. It takes a myriad of people, not to mention your family, friends, support, church, community, So many people to make that person sort of whole again. And that is just always the case. A successful business is not a successful business with one person. It always takes partnerships. And with partnerships, you can do really, truly and great, amazing things. So these three things, again, purpose, personalization, and partnerships are sort of the themes that, you know, underpin the art of human care and are sort of the pillars, if you will, of what I adopt in my practice and how I like to uh, think about this concept of the art of human care, and more importantly, deliver care to others. And this entire framework that you just described is obviously a lot more in depth and distilled down in your book. Can you talk about the book and being a best-selling author? Correct. Yeah. So writing a book is always a great, that is a very humbling experience. I've learned now a few times how humbling it can be with <laughs> writing a few of them, but I have a few people, you know, talking about partnerships again to thank 
And again, under this theme of gratitude for having this book come to fruition, it took uh, a number of people uh, and probably most importantly, my daughter to help bring this book alive. So it's called The Art of Human Care. And it does have a lot more context, flavor, color, literally and figuratively to those three themes of purpose, personalization and partnerships. But my daughter illustrated the various aspects of the book. The art theme of the book is one that, you know, has another backstory. I'll share very briefly that I wanted to be an artist when I was growing up, long before even entertaining med school. And my dad told me that I would never make a good living as an artist, so I should go to science and engineering school. And so that's what happened. (laughs) And I chose the pathway of surgery. But what has always been is something that has always been a great interest of mine is art. And more importantly, with the thematic concept of the art of human care is this recognition and this firm belief that I have that art and the arts in totality are always and have always been restorative and healing in nature for us. You know, you think about you feeling sad someday and then you just have your favorite song come on and it just takes you to another place. You look at a piece of artwork or a sculpture or, you know, you feel something that's beautifully made and it just transcends whatever state you're feeling. And art has this incredible ability to really be a healing force in our lives. And I bring that and I weave that aspect into the book as well, not only through the illustrations, but through the text, the words, and how powerful of an impact art has had on my life and the lives of the patients that I've been privileged to take care of. So I bring all of that into the book. It's a short read, I like to always say. And again, that goes back to the very difficult thing and concept of trying to make something that's very difficult simple or at least simplify it so that everyone can appreciate the great wealth of information that I'm trying to impart. And of course, if a picture is worth a thousand words, there are many pictures in the book, so it's quite a tome, but it's a very quick read and one that uh, I believe uh, people will get much out of and and take away uh, a lot uh, that will help them in their everyday lives. Well, I am going to challenge your father's notion that you shouldn't be an artist. Matter of fact, I believe you certainly are an artist and perhaps one of the best among us, Dr. Ted. I've uh, personally spent time in the operating room many years ago, early on in my career, consulting with surgeons just like you and watch the gloved artists, surgeons, just like yourself, do the work that you do is truly uh, inspiring and magical in and its own right. And then, of course, I also believe authors and writers themselves are artists. So whether you like it or not, in my book, you are one heck of an artist, Dr. Teta. Well, I thank you for that, Mike. And I will say that, you know, the audience, everyone that's listening, would like to sort of have this truth, if you will. This is one of the other things that I came to discover. You know, art is such a universal thing that everyone, I believe, just as you said, is an innate artist. There are obviously much better artists among us than others, but I think everyone is an artist. If you look back to the beginning of our human existence, art has been a way of expression. If you look at the simplest definition for art, it is simply communication. And that is how we communicate through the various forms and the art that we have, music, free form, expressionist, all of those things are all forms of communication. So I think innately being an artist is just a, is just natural human expression of everything that makes us human. So I couldn't agree more. And 
I want to switch gears here in just a moment around some of your current work. We have a lot of technologists, a lot of disruptors and entrepreneurs and innovators that tune into our nationally ranked healthcare innovation podcast here, Dr. Ted. And I want to get to that in just a moment, just so you can sprinkle a little bit more artistry on top around this notion of AI and informatics. But before we go there, let's tie it up together and really look at the three pillars that you shared around the art of human care. And what does that mean for COVID-19? Can you share a bit how those pillars are playing themselves out in real time, whether it be a real world use case that you've seen on the front lines, you know, serving so many of us during these trying times, or even more broadly, what does this notion of the art of human care mean during this very unprecedented time? Yeah, another very, very good question. You know, I'll share something that, you know, may expose a bit of my vulnerability, but like you said, I think there's not many among us who aren't vulnerable at this particular time. This is a historic uh, pandemic that we're all living through. I mean, they tend to happen in human history every 80 to 100 years. So we were about due for one. But when you look at the impact of COVID-19, not only on the sort of macro scale and the sort of population basis, it's sometimes lost on individuals when you hear the numbers, 160,000 people dead, like, you know, millions of people infected. And if you haven't been personally impacted by it, or you haven't come in contact with someone that you're close to that has been personally impacted, it's very easy to have those figures and those numbers sort of be lost. So I'll just share a bit of my vulnerability, as I mentioned. So early in this year, when the pandemic was sort of beginning to gain strength, if you will, and become a really big deal, I started to recognize that we had a lot of parallels in some other pandemics that I had had the fortune of studying over my career. And in late March, unfortunately, I had one of my aunts be hospitalized with COVID-19. She ultimately passed away and then had another aunt that also succumbed. And then I had an uncle. My wife and I are originally from a small town in New York called Brooklyn. And so New York, as you may know, was the epicenter for COVID, particularly in March, April, May. So we lost family members. And at the same time, I was taking care of patients in the hospital and seeing this condition and this disease ravish otherwise young and healthy people, which was a lot different than what the news and the papers and the stories were telling you. So now it was impacted not only on a personal level, but also professionally. And uh, it still is, quite frankly, a bit of a paradox and a conundrum because I've been a practicing physician for over 20 years. And... I've seen all kinds of, you know, really bad conditions and I've seen the worst of the worst in traumas, but I've seen this COVID disease really do things that I've never seen occur in other patients that I've taken care of with other conditions. And so the one thing I know for sure about COVID is that we don't know a lot about COVID. (laughs) That's the one thing I can say with some certainty. Now, getting back to the art of human care, which is your question and those pillars, I found myself, as you can imagine, not only professionally stressed, personally grieving from the loss of our family members, but in a state of just frustration and grief, particularly as April and May were sort of, you know, coming upon us because my daughter is graduating from middle school at the time. And early in the year, both of those aunts were making plans to come to see my daughter graduate and go to her confirmation. And now they were no longer here. And now my daughter and my son and all of us really were sort of sequestered at home. 
And it really became a really stressful situation in time. And it dawned on me that here it was, this work that I had spent years developing, the art of human care. We had this great book launch plan for all of 2020 and everything went to the wayside, just like many other events did for 2020 when COVID hit. But I realized that the answer to how to feel better and how to get out of my funk, if you will, were all within those pages. I had to find a purpose again. I had to personalize what was happening and overcome, you know, what was happening in some ways. And I needed partners to help me do that. And that's what I really spent much of the spring and early summer and late summer doing, you know, finding that purpose again. I started to run every day again. And I just started to develop a routine again because, you know, like many people that have been in this sort of groundhog day for the last few months, it's very easy to get lost in this almost dystopian kind of world where you just, you wake up, you don't know what day it is. You you haven't really had to, to go out or anything like that. And you could become really, I think, disoriented. And so I made it a priority to have a real defined purpose of making every day count. I personalized that sort of agenda for myself and for others that I've been taking care of. And I really relied on the partnerships of my colleagues at work, you know, the DOD, my team members at the hospital, and even my family to really sort of evolve during this time. And I think that word sort of punctuates what has really happened. I've taken those three tenets of purpose, personalization, and partnerships, and I've gone through this evolution, I think like many of us have, and I tried to make sure that I was evolving in a positive way as we all emerge from the wrath of COVID-19 and the pandemic that has sort of gripped our entire world here. Well, thank you for one, being so vulnerable and sharing what has happened to your family. It's just brutal. And I think you're right, Dr. Ted, until it happens to you personally, it just seems like this amorphous thing that's out there. And what does this even really mean? It's not impacting me personally and directly. Yes, I'm locked down in my house and all that, but I haven't seen death right in front of me or with my family, but you have. And that obviously changes perspective immensely. So thank you for sharing that and then applying your body of work to this current crisis and to this uh, current time that we're living in. So thank you again. As we start closing down a little bit, I do want to just quickly touch upon some of your work with the Department of Defense. And the reason why is we have so many amazing technologists, entrepreneurs, and innovators listening in. And, and I'd love for them to learn from you, maybe one or two or three little takeaways on one, what you're doing and two, how they should be thinking around this notion of artificial intelligence. So again, to set the stage here, Dr. Teddy, you've served our nation now for over two decades. And most recently, one of your positions, you've been appointed as a little over a year ago as the health mission chief for the Department of Defense Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. Can you, one, quickly tell us what that means? Two, this notion of artificial intelligence and the massive positive impact it's going to have on our industry. And then lastly, one or two or three takeaways for our innovators our technologists, our startups to be thinking about of how they can also get involved, how they can also continue to push this type of innovation forward. Sure. Well, you know, Mike, you just opened up the Pandora's box for me. This is something that I'm absolutely passionate about. So apropos to be on your podcast. I was just going to say, we may have to go (laughs) session two with you. So I'm going to ask you cliff notes right now. And then, like I said, we may be bringing you back on because I'm right there with you. I'm a technologist and innovator and disruptor. I love this stuff, but maybe give us some quick hits. 
I will give you a quick hit. So I, in addition to my clinical work in uh, transplant surgery, I, over the last few years, became enamored with technology and information and informatics. Specifically, there was a subspecialty or discipline of medicine here called informatics. And it's sort of the foundation of using technology and information to basically help people do their jobs better. I was fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to be the chief medical informatics officer for the Navy. And then subsequently was recruited to lead the Warfighter Health Mission at the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, which is a new organization established in 2018 to be the center of excellence for the Department of Defense and AI, all things AI. It has been a tremendous opportunity to really work in this space of what I believe AI is, which is the general purpose technology of our era. What does that mean? What does the general purpose technology of our era mean? You know, I saw a dramatization of something that I think will resonate with your audience as technologists, innovators, and sort of aficionados of the future and the state of being. There's a movie that was dramatized recently called The Current War. And for those of you that may not have watched it, I would encourage you to watch it just because it has some historical basis to it. But it's really an interesting drama about Westinghouse, Tesla, and Edison, and how in the early 19th century, there was this sort of race, if you will, to see how we were going to go from gas lights and candles to electricity. And it is just fascinating because I believe that's what AI is right now. And the AI is the equivalent of what was happening back then. And it's so interesting to see that dynamic play out between these innovators and quite frankly, the society of how they were embracing and not embracing this new technology. But now we just flip on the light switch and we think like, you know, yeah, whatever. No one thinks about electricity anymore. It's just ubiquitous. It's everywhere. You definitely think about it when it goes out like it did the other day when we had a storm here and now you lose it. And I believe AI is that kind of technology. That's what's happening right now. So all of the drama and some of the excitement and the hyperbole even is very similar to what was happening with electricity back in the 19th century. And now, you know, fast forward, here we are dealing with the general purpose technology of our era, but AI will fundamentally change the way that we do all kinds of business. It's doing it right now. It is happening right now. And I think it's an exciting time to be involved in it. And the work that we're doing in the Jake is absolutely groundbreaking. And I'd like to think that we are laying the foundation for some awesome technologies and innovation to come. Well, again, as I mentioned, we're going to have to have you back. We've got another session already teed up, ready to go. Because at this point, this is when I ask our amazing guests like yourself, what's future state look like? Well, I guess it's a be continued because we can dive, dive into all of that. And so again, that department over at the Department of Defense is called what again, Dr. Tetta? It's called a Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. And it is, again, the center of excellence for all things AI and the DOD with the mission to transform the DOD by leveraging AI technology. And you can find us and learn more about what we're doing and the great work that our you know, talented team and all of our members in the Jake are all working on. And we can be found at AI.mil. Very simple. But once you go to the website, you'll see how unique and different we are from perhaps any of the other departments within the DOD. AI.mil. Great handle, by the way. AI.mil. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. AI.mil. Well- I love it. Well, we'll have that uh, link in the episode notes. As you're listening with your favorite podcast player, just scroll down. That link will be the episode notes as well as over 
in our global online community at passionatepioneers.com. So thank you for sharing that, Dr. Teda. We're going to start winding it down. We want to flip the script on you, though. You've given us so much today to think about and to really consider in our daily efforts to continue to move the health of our country forward. But let's flip the script on you. What is one problem, need, or question that you currently have that our community can contemplate or help you with? That's a great question. I have the perfect question because it's one that we've been wrangling with. And in fact, I was just on a panel with my colleagues from the American College of Surgery. We're going virtual this year. And I was on a panel. And the panel's title is the question that I would sort of flip the script to your audience about. And the panel's title was, who owns data? Who owns data? And I would just sort of provide perhaps this background when you talk about or ask that question, who owns data? Think about data as, you know, this thing that actually fuels AI. And so it's a very good question to ask, well, who owns it? Who owns data? I think it's a question that we're going to be struggling with and trying to find answers and sort through some of the various ramifications of how we address that question and for the years to come. Great question. And we'll uh, have that again over at passionatepioneers.com. There will be an article built for this episode where you can leave comments, questions, ideas, and feedback for Dr. Teta around this question about who owns data. It's a great one. So thank you for sharing that. Dr. Teta, we'll have that again over at passionatepioneers.com. And of course, you've already shared one point online. We can find you at ai.mil, but where are some other contact points online that we can follow you, get a hold of your work, and continue to engage with you? So LinkedIn is a good source. Hassan Teta on LinkedIn. Dr. Teta is my Twitter handle, D-O-C-T-O-R-T-E-T-T-E-H. And then a website with the same moniker, drteta.com, D-O-C-T-O-R. T-E-T-T-E-H.com. Excellent. And again, those will all be left in our episode notes as well as over at passionatepioneers.com. Well, thank you for sharing those contact points, Dr. Teta. We're closing it down. We're at one of my favorite sections and it's a fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because? Because I want to save lives and make a positive difference in the world. Well said and way to take it home for us, Dr. Teta. Well, I know how busy you are. You're not only battling on the front lines for so many of us, but you also have all of your other service that you're giving to our country. I'm honored and grateful and privileged to be able to spend time with you today on our podcast and to share your message with our community. Thank you for taking a pit stop. Thank you for being with us today and sharing your mission. We certainly appreciate it. And we look forward to scheduling episode two around all things AI and the futuristic technology and work that will hopefully and will continue to impact our country and our nation. But for now, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Mike. Absolutely a pleasure. Really an honor. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.